0: 100 episodes of Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast. On this one, we have Theo Flurry back in studio, and he shares things that I've never heard him say before. Maybe it was the first time. I don't know. You're going to have to tune in. Now, we missed about the first 10 or 15 minutes, and uh, if you want to hear the first 10 or 15 minutes, you're going to have to go to the Facebook page at Operation Tango Romeo, the trauma recovery podcast on Facebook. There, the Facebook Live, you'll see it. uh, The first 15 minutes or so uh, are exclusively on there, where he tells some pretty cool stories about Wayne Gretzky and some of the most awesome hockey fights. All right, Uh, thank you for tuning in. What, what, What a privilege to have him in the studio, especially to celebrate the 100th episode. Thank you for tuning in. The support of you folks is everything to me, and it means so much. And for all of you that have gone to Apple Podcasts to rate and comment on Tango Romeo, that has helped so much because it helps more and more people find this podcast. So thank you for that. And if you haven't done it yet, could you do me a solid cover my back and, and get that done for me? It would be just wonderful. Thank you. And if you can't, you can't. That's cool too. Wait, love you all. Thank you for tuning in. You are awesome.
1: We won three provincial championships in baseball with the same 13 guys, same three coaches, you know? And so uh, having success as a kid and learning how to win Early on in life, you know, sort of set me up for, you know, the rest of my life. And so that's what I always tell people is once you have the blueprint for success, you have for the rest of your life. And yeah, especially it's when totally a transferable to, especially, skill, especially when it comes in a team environment, right? You know, you know, very easily to go into a situation. You can figure out what your role is pretty quick, you know, and, uh. Yeah, and I love playing for Team Canada because I wasn't didn't have to be a superstar. You know, I was a role player. I knew what my role was. It was easy to prepare for that role, and and uh, and because of it, had a lot of success playing for Team Canada. Was that uh,
0: when you felt most patriotic?
1: Yeah, there's no question. Yeah, absolutely. But I'd love to give back my gold medal and everything right now. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah, that's, that's another podcast. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I got a couple of tinfoil hats upstairs as they get have played with them and bring them down. yes. But, um, you know, well, you know.
1: Tinfoil hats for critical thinkers. That's Love exactly it. right.
0: That's exactly right. You know, though, there's, uh, there's something about trauma, and I just learned this recently, about trauma survivors, where we automatically go to worst case scenario. You know, because uh, we're just so used to seeing those threats and being on the wrong end of a threat. Mm -hmm. And um, so we catastrophize without even realizing that we're doing it. Right. So it's a tough thing to be mindful of, right? Like it's like, oh, well that, it looks really bad, but is it really bad? Or is this just my trauma brain fucking me over here? True.
1: True. But, you know, those of us who've had lots of therapy, then go to, you know, intelligence and, and, uh, research. Yeah. Right. You know, uh, there was a time, yeah, for sure. When I automatically reacted negatively towards whatever situation, but, you know, I have enough skill now to know that, you know, there's other, I can lean on other parts of my brain to, you know, come up with a definitive sort of answer.
0: There's... The vast majority of folks, all they do is read headlines. Yeah, and uh, they read their headline from the team that they've decided that they like to be, and all the media's team sports now. Yeah, you know this is my team. That's your team. My team's better than your team. I freaking hate your team, but my team's awesome. Yeah, and uh, it's team sports. So anything my team says, that's the fricking gospel.
1: <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Well, you know that's it. It, it, you know, it's an inter- it's an interesting time to be sort of alive, you know, and, uh, um, you know, it's the ultimate, uh, you know, what the Bible talks about is, you know, this ultimate showdown of good and evil, you know, and it's here. We're living it. And, uh, you know, uh, you know, I've had to really rely on my faith and rely on, you know, uh you know, my spirituality to get me through this, right? Because uh, as we know, we have the highest suicide rates in the history of our planet right now. And so, um, you know, you you have to have some sort of belief and some sort of faith that, you know, good. It was
0: already super high pre-COVID, right? Yeah, of
1: course. Absolutely. Well, were they setting us up? Maybe. Uh Who knows? (laughs) You know, And, uh, and so, you know, in the last probably six months, I have never had as many emails that, you know, subject line is suicide. Yeah. Right. And, uh, you know, there's not, there's, there's really nobody out there other than, uh, sort of the underbelly that's selling hope. Right. It's all fear. It's all fear based, uh. And, uh, you know, they're playing on that. And so. um,
0: Well, the only hope that's being sold makes pharmaceutical companies uh, trillions of dollars.
1: Yeah, absolutely. You know, I'm not taking somebody, something from a guy who has Asperger's, you know, Bill Gates, who's, you know, basically, uh, from what I understand, has complete, complete immunity. So figure that one out
0: well there's so much stuff going around the thing is we don't have and this is actually an interesting point uh uh, to bring up because we don't have access to good information we're all fucking guessing yeah we're all guessing Mm -hmm. you know and uh do i listen to this scientist or that scientist well what's their motivation who's paying them like yeah science is the science is more
1: corrupt than the politicians
0: science isn't science anymore (laughs) exactly so it's, it's so hard to know what to believe
1: it's a narrative It's not science. It's a narrative. That's what it is. You know, it's a story
0: by guys in white coats. Yeah,
1: exactly. And, uh, you know, when it's all said and done, isn't
0: that the same with mental health too, Theo? Like the way the system is with uh, conventional therapy or not.
1: Yeah. Well, um, you know, here's a guy, you know, talking right now who spent a million dollars on therapy. Jesus Christ. And done, what, 10,000 hours of therapy? And I still have depression, anxiety, panic disorder. I still have all that, right? And so um is what we're doing good? I don't know, you know. Yeah, I've gotten some relief through cognitive behavioral therapy, MDR, group therapy, all that stuff. But basically what it comes down to is, you know, when I was traumatized, my nervous system, yeah, is completely out of whack. And so I haven't found anything yet that's going to rejig my nervous system, which is going to kick in my, you know, helping my brain work. And that's, you know, what's, and another thing, you know, I've never been contacted by more psychedelic companies in the last probably year. It's been blowing up. Yeah, and, and uh, um, the more I read about it, Uh, The more I'm excited Yeah, you know, because, you know, what big pharma basically is doing and they've done it since the beginning of, you know, when they started is, you know, nothing that comes from big pharma is in its natural state or form. Okay. So it's a synthetic version of something Uh, that comes from nature, nature. Yeah. And what I've come to realize is that when I put anything synthetic in my body, and I'm including food, GMOs, all, all this stuff, I'm, I'm including all that in, in the equation, is when I put it in my body, my body, does it, my body goes, oh, what is this? I don't, it doesn't, you know, I don't know what to do with it. And when, I, when my body doesn't know what to do with it, it forms a sludge. In my liver, in my kidneys, and in my intestines. And I can't remove it, right? And it, as a direct result of that, what do I have? Depression, anxiety, my, I have brain fog, I have all of these things because I can't get rid of this synthetic chemical that's being put in my body. So when I take cannabis or cyboxylen or ibogaine or whatever all these new uh, psychedelics that come in I put it in my body and my body goes oh I know what that is
0: well we have cannabinoid receptors yeah we got an ass load of them yeah you know uh, we don't have morphine receptors or alcohol receptors no. we're not built for that shit no. it, it is legit
1: poison it might yeah. feel pretty good yeah. but it's legit poison well it's a short-term you know uh, short-term relief for a long-term problem that's what it is you know and you know, ultimately, what is addiction? Addiction is emotional pain management. Mm-hmm. That's all it is. It's a coping mechanism used to suppress all the negative feelings and emotions that I have. And uh, you know, you you add stigma on top of all of that, and there's no place I can talk about my trauma, right? Because this is what it basically all comes down to: it's trauma. You know, we don't have a systemic racist problem in in the world. We have a systemic trauma issue, unresolved trauma, right? So, you know, when I watch these, you know, whatever you want to call, whatever kind of group that's at a rally causing shit, Mm -hmm. that's unresolved anger.
0: Yeah, they say anger is a secondary emotion. (laughs)
1: <laughs> no it's it's the number one because <laughs> because all these people who have suppressed anger now have somewhere to put it right And so if you have a cause that you can display this you know unresolved anger issues, well
0: well I think uh, part of our makeup is we're always looking for a fight. And, um, I know in the veteran community, we're all praying for the zombie apocalypse, you know, it's like, bring it, you know, this is, is, I'm good at this shit, (laughs) you know, bring it on. And, uh, and I think a lot of people are tapped into their warrior selves, you know, especially dudes.
1: And, um. Because we're in survival mode, right? And when you get in survival mode, then, you know, this is what happens. And the fact that every single human being on the planet has trauma. Just a matter of degree and how it manifests. Exactly. So, you know, uh, it's been interesting to watch, uh, you know, as a, you know, an advocate and activist, you know, around trauma is, you know, you just, you, you, especially on social media, you know, these people that, uh, sort of lean a little bit towards the left, you know, who, um, you know, they can't help it. They're just, they're made that way, right. Their chemistry is different than my chemistry, right. It's just a different chemistries and how easily they are influenced by, you know, the mainstream media. Right. But if you do any research, you know, uh, uh, you know, the media hasn't basically told the truth truth for decades, <laughs> you know, and it's been a certain, you know, narrative.
0: It's spectacular what they don't cover, too. I think you and I were saying on the phone the other day, um, I think most healthy, decent human beings would say that one of the worst crimes out there is child sex trafficking. Yeah. The idea of selling children for sex. You had Paul Brandt on your show. Freaking! what an interview, by the way. Yeah,
1: it was unbelievable.
0: Well done. And um, that must have been a hard one for you to, to get through, though.
1: No, it wasn't because, uh, you know, I'm no longer, you know what I mean? Like, I'm no longer attached to my abuse. Because I, you've t- sold, told the story so many times. Well, and I've done the work. Yeah. Right? I've done the, you know, sort of the for self-forgiveness piece, right? And so I'm no longer... But I'm definitely in, you know, in with the cause, right? I like, I understand it, I get it, you know, and uh, it's never on any political platform. No, never. I,
0: I'm going to be 51 here, Theo, coming up, mm-hmm. and I've never once heard one politician saying this is a problem. We're going to do something about it.
1: Well, Trump actually did something about it. He yeah. he created a task force, and you know, he you. You know, you really have to look for it on social media, but it's there when they make the arrests and and whatnot. I make sure that I always retweet uh, that kind of stuff. But you know, the you know, I would say the worst addiction to have is the addiction of power,
2: mm-hmm.
1: right? And you know, when it comes to child and human trafficking, you know, that's that's right. That's where it is.
0: Is it more power than it's sex? All, you think it's all about power? It's like all, rape well, they ain't well, that is rape, yeah. but it's all about power,
1: yeah, you know, and
0: it's all about I can get away with it
1: well if you if you look at the i don't know the chronological order is uh you know
0: bring the mic to you there you yeah.
1: when I need you can bring it to you though when I need uh uh power, you know there's sort of a chronological order that follows you know and and, and you can see it in the the elite class, right? Is that, you know, when you have money, when you acquire money, what comes behind money is power. And then once you have power, then you can abuse whoever you want because there's really no consequences. If you have money, you know, and there's no no justice system, it's just a legal system, right? And so those guys who have, you know, lots of money can, you
0: know, and the most powerful are those that are the ruling class that actually are in government. So they know that if they're untouchable. Yeah. They, and then, then they just go, uh, well, they, being, they go
1: nuts. It's being played out in real time. Yeah. Right. I think I tweeted this out uh, a couple of weeks ago that, you know, never in my lifetime have I seen, you know, the political class care less about human life than they do right now.
0: Exactly what we're talking about is the problem with communism. The problem with communism isn't necessarily the idea or the, the general idea, you know, there's some communist ideals that I'd be like, yeah, that just seems like sharing seems all right. Right. You know, I'm okay with there being no such thing as a billionaire. I'm good with that. Uh, Matter of fact, I, I find billionaires to be kind of foul uh, personally. Um, you know, I've only met one or two of them, but, uh, and they were nice enough people, but, um, just the idea of, uh, of hoarding just doesn't seem right to me. No. However, that's not the problem with communism. No. (laughs) The problem with communism is exactly what we're talking about. When somebody gets that much power and all they want to do is either expand it or protect it. Yeah. Or exercise it. It's all about the power and anything that is a threat to that power uh, to their dynasty. And they start feeling uh, like megalomaniacs, like God put me here to do this.
1: This. Yeah. There's God and communism are not in the same sentence, nor should they ever be in the same sentence ever. Yeah. yeah, They're like other, other ends of the stick. They use it, you know, as a way to coerce people, you know, into, you know, the, the ideology, but you know, I've, I've said this on a hundred podcasts, you know, come, you know, this type of ideology, I won't call it communism because I think it's the next level, you know, like we're going to the next level. Yeah. And, and well, with sh- the
0: technology you know, now, yeah, it, it's sh- Mao Zedong's uh, right. wet dream.
1: Yeah. And so this type of ideology, leadership, whatever you want to call it has been tried 24 times in the history of our planet. Twenty-four times, and it's failed every single time. But what it's left is carnage of a hundred million people who've died under this type of leadership, and uh, and that's what scares me is that these people don't value your life and my life. You know what I mean?
0: It's about the ideal,
1: and I have a lot to contribute to this place that we live in right and when you stop caring about me and the goodness which you know we bring to the table then we're in big trouble but eventually they end up eating each other because there can only be one person at the top of the pyramid yeah and
0: And they all want to be there
1: and they all want to be there and yeah and You know, we're, we're being shown a great example with governor Como in New York, where now the Democrats are piling on him. So they eventually eat themselves, but unfortunately it takes about 20 years for them to eat themselves.
0: The people that are most upset uh, about what's going on right now are people that have escaped communism, friends of mine, um, that have escaped different communist countries and, um, and there's a intergenerational trauma there. Yeah. You know, um, like the, uh, the Ukrainian, uh, genocide by starvation, you know? Um, and then there's even just like Holocaust deniers, there's people saying that it didn't even happen, (laughs) but for the families of it. And, uh, I mean, I'm 50, so people that uh, 20 years ago would have been like grandmother level for age, They it was very, very fresh in their mind, stuff like that. So you'd go to their house and they would make sure that you would be fed, especially in an Ukrainian household. Of course. Like you would be freaking fed. Yeah. Right. And, um, but that is the holdover from starvation. Of course. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, 100%. I remember you mentioning uh, recently in one of the shows I listened to, you're talking about, uh, uh, or maybe we were chatting, I don't know, but uh, how trauma can get trapped in your cells and then pass through your DNA yeah. to, your, to your offspring.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's, it's Have you seen that with your kids? Oh, there's no question that, that they have it, you know. Um, so I went to the very first post-traumatic stress disorder conference held in Canada, put on by the military in Halifax. And one of the speakers there was a lady named Rachel Yehuda. And she's an epidemiologist. So, you know, she, the epigenetics. And she did a couple of uh, research exercises with Holocaust survivors. And what she found was that uh, the seventh generation, so the original survivor of the holocaust and the seventh generation had the same piece of dna and even though the the seventh generation didn't experience the actual holocaust they felt it exactly the same way so you look at the residential school system in canada oh, same, Jesus same thing same thing right so but well, what's really cool is that you can actually repair that piece of dna like you can actually get rid of it and repair it. How? Through relationship, through change, you know, getting into therapy, getting into healing, you know, you can, you can get rid of that. So, you know, so, uh, you know, you think of COVID, you know, COVID's the most traumatic thing that's happened since World War II. Yeah, on a global scale. Yeah, for sure. And so, we all have trauma. Now we've added a new layer of trauma on top of all the other layers. And so, you know, that's why we're seeing more people seeking mental health, uh, healing. That's why we're seeing more people, uh, taking their own lives, right? Because it's just another layer. And so, uh, and we all grew up in the suck it up era, right? We sure did. And so, yeah. you know, this, this, the reason why we're at like mental health, epidemic is because this is the result of the sucking it up. Right. And so when trauma gets stored in the body, you know, all it takes is a traumatic experience to sort of wake that old past trauma up. And so COVID has done a great job of, you know, waking up, you know, past trauma. And so, um, in the army,
0: we, we call it the trauma rucksack. Yeah. And there's, uh, COVID threw in a few extra bricks. There's a lot of people that are poo-pooing. It's like, oh, it's no big deal. They're still doing the second up thing. They, they don't understand. They think that this isn't traumatic to them, but, they, but it is yeah. because uh, PTSD creates disconnections. The whole fucking point of peer support. It's one third of the point of Operation Tango Romeo. It gives that sense of connection. Trauma disconnects you from yourself it disconnects you from your friends, your family, your relationships, and then you're isolated. And it's that isolation that is the pain. Yeah, absolutely. And this, and now we're isolating everybody. Yeah, exactly. And we're, the better little uh, soldier you are, the more isolated you are.
1: For sure. Yeah, it's, uh, well, you know, I'm a, you know, I call myself a expert in relational trauma. Well. This is relational trauma because they're taking away the, well, they're taking away community That's what they're doing. All the rinks are closed. Schools are closed. Like there's no community, right? And how do you crush, you know, civilization? Well, you take away the ability for community, right? You know, that's why every little rink, why every little town in Canada has an arena because that's where everybody goes to be in relationships.
0: Yeah, it's the sense of community, the sense of uh, togetherness. Yeah, it's, you know. It broke my heart when I saw the, um, and I really feel for the police officers in Calgary when they cleared that rink and the two lady cops there took that uh, kid down, well, 21 or whatever he was. <laughs> yeah. It was unfortunate, but I don't blame the cops. They're just enforcing the rules. Right. it um, It's a really tough spot for him to be in, and I, I feel for him. At the same time, the soldier in me uh, is like, Lawful orders, unlawful orders. You don't <laughs> exactly. follow unlawful orders, but it's, it's tough. Cause you know, do you want to lose your job over it? No. It's tough. But, uh, if it gets, <laughs> if it gets any worse, I think there's going to be more and more people refusing to enforce that type of shit.
1: Right. Well, wow. it's, it's complete insanity. Right. It is. And what, what's the definition of insanity? Doing the same thing over and over again, expecting a different result. 24 times they've tried this. <laughs> Right. people
0: don't see the link you know they don't see the link between uh global communism uh they they think QAnon and 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 uh crazy tinfoil hat shit right they they don't see it but people that have suffered significant trauma but, but they're they actu- can see it but
1: they're actually saying it. i know they're actually saying it. i know it. and it's like well here's here's the video where they're actually saying <laughs> well no he's not, he's not really saying no,
0: well it's cognitive dissonance, right? Yeah. Well e- even the idea of I can only say it because you've said it a thousand times in a thousand different talks. You've been raped a hundred and fifty times. Before you had the ability. Cause you and I and I meant I pointed this out to you, uh you, you never used to word it that way. You didn't call it rape. You right. said you would say um uh sexual assault. It would be something else. Yeah. You know, well, I would uh,
1: say it was sexually abused 150 times. Yeah and right? then
0: you changed it to rape because it's more of what it actually is. Right. But the cognitive dissonance that happens there for the people that uh, haven't been raped themselves or they haven't been around it or they go, well, how could that possibly happen? You know and, 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 they're, and they're trying to talk themselves into how that, that, that doesn't make sense yeah. you know because mm-hmm. uh, it's too fucking horrible. For them to hold. Right. It is way too horrible, right? Uh, and actually, at this point, uh, Theo, it is because of you, you fucker, you know, and the, the courage that you've had at uh, that I've been able to say personally, uh, and I was 45 or 46 before I could do it, right. that I was uh, molested uh, as a child from the age of 7 to 12 by an older family member who I loved and trusted. Right. Uh, and I was raped when I was 17 by somebody who was supposed to be my friend. Now, I couldn't even say that to myself. Right. Until I listened to you say it again and again mm-hmm. and again and again. Because I didn't do anything fucking wrong. Right. You didn't do anything fucking wrong. Didn't. You know, you didn't bring it on or encourage it. No. And, uh, no, and it, I, was,
1: I was a kid with a dream. That's it. That was it. Right. And, you know, the the particular person... You know, uh, took advantage of that dream, right?
0: You, that's the power of corruption, exactly, or the corruption, or the mm-hmm. the the power yeah. of that power imbalance, yeah. Which is why General John Vance is a piece of shit,
1: big time, and everybody who covered it up is even a bigger piece of shit.
0: Well, I know people that know him directly, like firsthand, mm-hmm. and he has been a piece of shit for twenty plus years, and everybody knew it. And nobody did, they let him go all the, uh, you know, they say the cream rises to the top. So does a turd. And he he floated all the way up to the top of the septic tank.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, what happened to us is, is a living murder. That's, you know, that's what I call it. When anybody's sexually blessed in the way that we were, it's a living murder because a piece of your soul is gone. It's gone. You know, that, that innocent piece that we all come into the world with.
0: The ability to trust.
1: Is gone, right? Yeah. And, you know, uh, you know I've, I've mentioned to several lawyers who, you know, work in the system to start calling it that when they're defending their clients. Right, just like they changed the word rape to sexual abuse, mm-hmm. right? Because when they changed from rape to sexual abuse, guess what happened? Their clients got lesser sentences. They got. Yeah, but if you were to counter that and say, "No, this is actually living murder, living I mean, murder," because what happens is, is I can't function anymore until I actually get into some sort of healing. But, but you never get back to 100%. But the amount of wreckage that I've caused in my relationships because of what happened to me is, you know, like I'm, I'm now causing damage to the people that I get involved with after the fact, yeah. right? So, so think, about, think about that lineage and how many people are, oh. are affected
0: my kids, my ex-wife. Yeah, exactly. You know, my poor ex-wife, she's a good person. Yeah. You know, we get along, but uh, Jesus Christ, the, the, the further away it is in the rear view mirror, the bit more clarity I have. And that poor woman. Yeah. Yeah, I was impossible. I was fucking impossible.
1: Yeah, exactly. And now, you know, you you have to, but you can go back and repair that relationship, right? Every relationship's repairable, right? As long as there's two willing parties. Yeah. Right? And, uh, you know, in 12 step, you know, we, we have a thing called making amends, right. And, and all you have to do is be willing to make amends. And, uh, and so, you know, I've been able to make some amends, but I've also had living amends too, right. Where I'm out there healing and the people that I've hurt see that. Yeah. Right. And so, you know. They, they get to choose whether they want to forgive me or not. But I would say most people who have, you know, a heart, you know, are willing to to forgive as long as I'm doing the next right thing.
0: My dad isn't a talker, but uh, my mom will talk about when I came back from the war. <laughs> yeah. You know, that poor woman, and she was desperate for help, but uh, nobody, nobody was talking about uh, PTSD in the mid, late 90s. No. You know.
1: Well, it was called shell shock,
0: wasn't it? Yeah, that's one of the many sto- right. uh, uh, things that they called it. And, um, oh God, we can be so fucking douchey to each other. The the combat veteran crowd. You know, it's like, what? You're on a peacekeeping mission. You know, I was in Afghanistan. You know, how could you have PTSD, right. you know? And, uh, well,
1: because we live in a more than, less than world. More than, less than. Right? It's so, all a competition. You yeah. know, I call but, it the trauma Olympics. Yeah, but when it comes to trauma... And emotional pain, like your emotional pain, my emotional pain, I would, it's the same. Like there's no, like there's no bar. Yeah. Right. You know? And. And it, uh, and it injured you or it didn't. Yeah. Yeah. And, but, you know, and that's part of the stigma, right? Yeah. Is, yeah, okay. You went to Afghanistan, but you know, as a, in a peacekeeping mission, I saw some pretty fucking horrible shit too, that's going to affect me for the rest of my life. And so why are you dismissing? Why are you dismissing? Because there's a lot of dismissing going on as well. Right. You know?
0: Well, something that I think, no, I know you said, um, first time you were in my living room at the other house is, um, cause people aren't ready to look at their own shit. Yes. Cause if they acknowledge that I'm injured cause of what I saw, then they're going to have to face their own injuries. It's like, wait a second. I was in something similar, you know? And, yeah. But um, also in that last conversation, trauma is trauma is trauma. Yeah. It's the fucking same. Um, the hypervigilance, the nightmares, um, the anxiety attacks, uh, the depression. It doesn't matter if that is a result of being in 20 firefights uh, or being on a peacekeeping mission like I was. Yeah. Or, uh, or what you fucking endured. They, they, there's, no, there's no prize for first
1: place. No. Like, you don't want to win that one. <laughs> no. Well, I, I'd love to win the first prize of healing. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> well, <laughs> I've recently come to,
0: and I would like to know what you think. Um, I've had it hammered into my brain that although you can get better and better at managing, it's a permanent fucking deal. Mm-hmm. For it, sure. This is a permanent struggle.
1: It, uh, well, like I said, I spent a million dollars and, you know, I've done every kind of therapy known to mankind and I still struggle, right? Where
0: was the win though? Like for me, it was my kids. I, I, I went in cause I recognized that I was a asshole to my right, kids. Right? What was it for you? and And like, what did get better? Like specifically?
1: Well, I'm not angry anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that to me, that was the biggest victory, you know, was I, I, uh, Road rage, a thing. It, it was, yeah. long to now, I don't. It like, doesn't happen. Could care so less. Much. I could yeah. care less. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I think <clears throat> there's been lots of small victories, you know, along yeah. the way. Um, and uh, you know, which is hard for me because I was at the pinnacle of my sport. Like I won an Olympic gold medal, right? So, yeah. so my attitude is, or was, I'm going to, I'm going to defeat this Mm. illness that I have. That's a a soldier's uh, perspective. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. And and the way we're handled is not any different. Yeah, no. You know, you know, it's the same, same military sort of, you know. Well, win, win, win. Well, and, and, you know, the way I was coached, they coached my anger. Yeah. They wanted me to be on the edge. And I could fall on either side. I could fall on the side that hurt the team big time. Well, anger becomes a habit. Yeah, for sure. Well, because you're addicted to the adrenaline. Yeah. Right? You're addicted to the adrenaline. And uh, Well, you certainly used to play angry. Yeah. Well, I had to. Fuck I had could to. could you move? I had to. <laughs> right? How does a guy who's, for example, okay, so when I broke in the league, the average height was six feet. The average weight was 200 pounds. So everybody's six inches taller and 50 pounds heavier than me. How am I going to do what I do best? Well, I need room on the ice. Yeah. And so if I'm not angry, crazy, (laughs) right? Yeah. Because I realized quickly that, you know, three quarters of the NHL guys that I was playing against, they were all bluffers. They weren't tough. Yeah. Right. And those guys... I could take them anywhere on the ice and do whatever I wanted to. them Cause I knew they weren't going to do anything back. Yeah. And then when it got fun was the other 25%. The guys that competed at the same level. Cause now I got to dig deeper. I got to find more. I got to find more of that to be able to have success. Right. And you know, that meant that both parties are taking themselves. Take, we're going right to the very edge. One of us could die here. Right. That's how badly I wanted to win. That's how, you know, that's where to I, kill me to stop. That's you. where I got my satisfaction. Yeah. Right. Was, you know, being at the very, very edge and knowing fuck, I could, I could die here, yep. you know, but I was willing to die in order to, to win. Right. And the majority of guys weren't, weren't willing to do that. And that's why I had such great success is because I competed the highest level. In psychology, physicality, all that stuff. I compete at the very highest level, right? Not everybody could do that. And then you add my skill into all of that and you get Theo Fleury. Yeah. Right? So.
0: Is uh, there a Theo Fleury on the ice today? No, not even close. <laughs> no, no, no. Not like, not with the whole. I kind of like Kyler Yamamoto. He reminds me of you.
1: Yeah, but he's... If I played against Kyler Yamamoto, <laughs> it would be... Turn him inside out? Yeah, it wouldn't be, you know. Um, but yeah, it's... uh, You know, it's interesting when you sort of delve a little deeper into, you know, the trauma stuff, right? Because that's all I talk about now. Yeah. You know? And mental illness and addiction is you know, what's left behind from trauma, right? And, uh, you know, I just did an event in Medicine Hat this past weekend where, you know, they had 11 suicides in a short space, right? And I said to everybody, you know, where's our compassionate hearts? Where's our empathy towards the trauma? Like, why can't we talk about the trauma? Like, why can't I talk about being raped 150 times? Why can't you talk about your experience in the military and your abuse? Like, why Why is there no space for that? It's too much for people to hear. Yeah, but but it's the, it's the human experience. Yeah. Like, it's the human experience, you know? And there's, there's so many examples. Like, you know, when you say... Child human human trafficking is the most successful business monetarily on the planet. You know, makes $70 billion more than Amazon does. I wonder how, how they
0: even come up with those numbers on an underground thing. But
1: uh, but they do. Yeah. Like it's everywhere. You know, like if you punch into Google or DuckDuckGo or Bing or whatever it is, it is, it's consistent.
0: I just had a train of thought and you, you gave me a perfect segue that I fricking lost. God damn it. <laughs> and I know it's on my list too. Cause I fricking wrote it down. Oh, it's right there at the top. So you're just saying, where's there a place to talk about it? Tell me about the power of story. How by telling your story in front of a room, yep. how that, how that helps people.
1: Well, um, you know, it's the reason why I get out of bed. Okay. And you know, the most successful cheapest kind of therapy on the planet is a little thing called group therapy. Okay. And how it works is you get a bunch of people in a room and use vulnerability and vulnerability is storytelling, right? And that's storytelling Create safety, and then when you have safety, that's when the magic of healing happens. And one of the best examples I have of that is a story. So, you know, shortly after Kim and I wrote Conversation with the Rattlesnake, the two of us started doing workshops, one-day healing conferences all over. And So we happened to be doing one in Calgary. And we had about 100 people uh, downtown at the Westin And uh, so Kim and I spent the morning creating the safe space by sharing stories back and forth. And right before lunch, I could see that there was a gentleman sitting to the right of the stage who was visibly turned on. Okay. The, The light bulb went off in his head. So we come back after lunch and he's the first guy that I address. I say, you know, I noticed your nonverbal cues during the morning. I go, do you have something that you would like to stand up in front of the group and say? He's like, yeah, absolutely. So he stands up and he says, you know what? I just want everybody to know I've never felt this safe in a room in my whole entire life. And we were talking about secrets, you know, in the morning We're, you know, we have that saying, you're only as sick as your secrets, right? And he said, well, yeah. well, I've been carrying a secret around for a long time. And I just want everybody to know that I molested my sister for 11 years. Okay? Well, there was three ladies in our audience who had been molested by their brothers. They got out of their chairs, went over, and embraced this man. And it was the most incredible visual healing thing that I've ever witnessed in my whole entire life. And that's the kind of healing that we need in this world. Friend of mine,
0: a veteran friend. I told him a story that I've always been able to tell for some reason. That uh, in basic training, for whatever reason, mm-hmm. there's a group of dudes. Uh, we're all wearing, uh, <laughs> in the early part of it, uh, coveralls is what we wore. Just, just coveralls, yeah. just like a prisoner with a number on it or your name tag. Or, right. I think it was your name tag with, on hockey tape. And um, uh, just wearing these dark coveralls. I walked through the door and somebody yelled, get him!" And uh, I was pinned down by half a dozen guys, give or take, stripped, and they stuck a freaking vacuum cleaner on me. And uh, I have never fought so fucking hard in my life. I've fought and I've, i I could have I would have bit him if I could have right you know uh I fought with everything I had uh but there's there's no fighting that you know and they were laughing their ass off thought it was hilarious and um uh, didn't matter how loud I screamed or kicked or fought uh it was it was happening yeah and there's fuck all I can do about it so when it was done and clearly I was shaken and uh, had half a mind to beat some of them to death in their sleep. Yeah. But um, uh, the one of them came up to me later, clearly shaken that I was shaken. So, Hey man, it was just a joke. And I said, does it look like I'm fucking laughing? Yeah. You know, that there's nothing funny there. No. So I told that story to a friend of mine. And for the first time in his life, he told me where something very similar happened to him, you know, and, uh, cause it's just a joke, Theo.
1: Yeah. No, it's not.
0: It's trauma. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not cool. No. When your power is taken from you, when you when your personal, um, bubble is burst yeah. of safety, mm-hmm. you know, especially among the people that you're supposed to be able to trust the most.
1: Of course. Yeah. Like
0: But that's the power of telling your story.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Because we're like, people are so afraid of being judged. Yeah. Right? And, uh, you know, the first one through the wall always gets bloody. Right? (laughs) (laughs) You know? And, uh, like, I knew if I didn't tell my story, I was going to die. I was going to die.
0: Just because it was so bottled up? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, I I had a gun in my mouth already, you know, four four or five years prior, before I wrote my book, right? And, you know, the one thing I hadn't tried was honesty, openness, and willingness, right? You know, and it was that honesty, opening, and willingness that brought you and I together. Yeah. Right? You know, and... And you uh, know, there there should never be any judgment when it comes to stories like yours and mine. There shouldn't be any judgment.
0: I think a wonderful healing thing for anybody that's resonating with any of this do a fucking Facebook live and just tell your story. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, if if you have control of it, it doesn't have control of you. Exactly. You know, and it ain't easy. It, it, is it easy for you now? Yeah. It's easy. It's easy. But you've done it a thousand yeah, times.
1: I've done it million times, but I've yeah. also you gotta get closer. I also saw the impact that telling my story has had,
0: yeah,
1: right, like we're talking a million people directly or indirectly, sexual abuse survivors who've shared their story with me,
0: yeah, me too,
1: because you know because of you know the sexual abuse that happened to them, and they've never had a place, right. And so, you know, when I talk about safe spaces. Which I used to laugh at with these colleges, but yeah.
0: but I get it now.
1: Yeah, because there's a certain amount of vulnerability, which, you know, there's stigma, even stigma attached to that word too, right? And um, people just want to be heard. They don't need advice. They don't need, you know, and a simple act of being present, being attuned, and listening to somebody, guess what happens? Rewires your brain.
0: Number one human and emotional need, brother, is uh, affirmation. Yeah. So the sense of being heard, you know, and it's not a arrogance thing or an ego thing. It's a validation thing.
1: Yeah. Well, and I would say any type of trauma that happens before you're 25 as a woman and 20, and 30 as a guy, because that's when our brains are fully developed. None of this shit is your fault. If you're abused, abandoned, neglected, all this shit, it's not your fault. And when you're able to take response, take that, that self responsibility that you think that's attached to the act and put it on the shelf, Right. And, you know, that's why in my trauma transformation course that I designed, I put in the video of Goodwill Hunting, the last scene, when Robin Williams says to Will, wasn't your fault, wasn't your fault.
0: And he's like, yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah, 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 I know. Until he actually felt
1: it. Yeah. Then the light bulb goes on for Will, cries for the first time in his life in that scene, embraces, hugs another man then what happens in the next scene goes and gets the girl goes and gets the job because how do you like them apples? Yeah. Because I'm good enough and I deserve good things in my life because you know, the four things that trauma teaches us is what abandonment, neglect. I'm not good enough. I'm not lovable. Do I even exist? Right. And the, and that fourth one is an interesting one from a neuroscience perspective. Okay. So we have an opioid crisis on the planet and, you know, sort of the thing that combats everything is a little chemical in our brain called oxytocin, which is the drug of love and connection. Okay. Okay. So the pharmaceutical companies knew that we were all disconnected and fucked up in all these relationships. So what did they create? Oxycontin. Oxytocin. Okay? And when you look at oxycontin and oxytocin underneath the microscope, they look exactly the same, except oxycontin has one little extra arm where we need more of it. Yeah. So when I... Because I I never...
0: Weaponizing love.
1: But I never... I was never that, like, I was a speeder, right? My brain doesn't produce enough dopamine and serotonin. I'm okay on the oxytocin side of it, but my brain doesn't produce. So I gravitated towards cocaine because cocaine is dopamine and serotonin, right? So so the pharmaceutical companies knew we were all disconnected. So when I ask people who use heroin, oxycotton fentanyl why do you do it because it gives me the warm and fuzzies which replaces relationship and that's why everybody gets hooked so so badly so and the numbness
0: i think uh i went through a period for a while that the things that used to recharge my batteries didn't work yeah you know uh, used to be i'd walk into the mountains walk in the forest i'd be right as rain it stopped working for like five years Mm -hmm. and it did nothing for me right And when you just want to feel something, I could see that
1: being a reason. No, no question. But you (laughs) you eventually get to that place where, you know, your body's so poisonous from, you know, using this drug to feel anything. And then when you get to that point where you're like, I I don't want to use this anymore. The detox is so horrific, right? It's almost like an exorcism, you know. Worst for uh alcohol is the worst detox isn't Yeah. It? Well, you know.
0: Can you bring your whole chair in just to, sure. uh just a foot there?
1: Yeah. So, you know, it's half a dozen, you know. <laughs> so, you know, if you get on that, that merry-go round, it's hard to get off, right? But ultimately it's where do I share this story? Right? Where yeah. do I share the story? and there's not enough places to share the story even if somebody doesn't share it out loud i mean it's
0: better if you share it out loud but if you just write it down yeah take it out of your head put it on paper or a <clears> google <throat> doc just write it down yeah there's something about that that gives you control of it for sure write a book even if you never publish it yeah just get it out of your head and onto paper yeah
1: and then they say you know burn it <laughs> you know <laughs>
0: Well, that's one of the um, therapy imageries, you know, as you go through it, then you put it on a pile and light it on fire and it would always feel kind of good. Then I'd walk across this bridge and, you know, (laughs) then the bridge would go away and, and it felt kind of good. But then I'd think, I don't think that actually, you know, it felt good in the moment, right? but I don't know if it actually fixed anything. Right. Not really. Because you're trying to create neural, new neural (laughs) pathways, right? Of course. Of course. Uh, But- I didn't do yeah. a million dollars in 10,000 hours, but I, four years, Yeah, you know, yeah. and uh, the only win that I can say, which is a huge win is my temper with my kids. Right. Th- that's fixed.
1: Yeah. Which and that's, is and that's a win. That is a huge win. That's a win. Right. Yeah. You know, and, and everybody, uh, well, you know, anybody who's an addict or whatever you want to call it <clears throat> is addicted to something. You know, we're instant gratification junkies. So we don't, we know exactly what we need. But healing is not about instant gratification. Healing is forever. And it's a daily reprieve based on our spiritual condition. That's what it is, you know. And, uh... You know, a lot of people get triggered by the word God and spirituality and all this stuff, but it's the key to all of this, you know, is that I'm not running the show, (laughs) you know, I'm not running the show. Something is.
0: Yeah. Not necessarily the bearded man in the sky, but uh, something, something. Yeah. Whatever it is. Yeah. Well, Elon Musk says we're all in a computer simulation, which very well could be. Which means there is a God, he's just a computer programmer
1: exactly,
0: which really in creation theory, it's kind of the same thing from a different lens right,
1: for sure, and there's different you know, yeah, great, if you believe that you know as long as you believe in something, yeah, whatever know, it is, whatever it is, you know I had a counselor uh at my last treatment facility, you know he said his higher power was a tree in his backyard, and I was like, huh, <laughs> and he's like, well." I'm 21 years sober. I'm like, I get it. Right? I get it. Because the tree in his backyard is his spiritual connection. What's
0: your sobriety date again?
1: Uh, September 18, 2005. So So, so. today, I have this great app on my phone.
0: (laughs) The sobriety counter?
1: 5,664 days of bliss. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs>
2: <laughs> i wish
1: yeah
0: not exactly bliss i uh april 16th this year will be a will be a year for me nice so i am uh i'm yeah. looking forward to that's going to be a, a day to celebrate wow it'll be a year april
1: 16th amazing
0: well you had said uh i said well why do you remember the date you said because i have to and uh so i thought, like all right well then i'm gonna remember the date too
1: but well, I, it's, I, I it's, get it it's now. It's just a great reminder of how far you've come. right? Yeah. So that you never have to go back there. Right? You know, and that's what I tell a lot of people that I work with. I say, you realize this is the last time you have to do this. Right? Because if you get it, you don't have to do it again. Right? And it's one day at a time. That's all it is. You know, we have a 24-hour reprieve. That's it. Right? And I love, uh, I love that simple saying one day at a time, because ultimately we're trying to be, we try, we're trying to live in the moment as much as we can. And the better we get at that, the better we yeah. get at life. Right.
0: Have you read, uh, actually, it's just behind me there. Have you read Eckhart Toll's A New Earth? No. Oh, dude, I've got to give you that copy before you go out. Okay. It's all about, uh, and it's also the power of now. Is, yeah, is his other I've,
1: book. I've done the power of now. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And um, But it's true. You know, the only time that matters is now. But you get all these little sayings and clips, you know, saying, you know, the the past is gone, the future is, is undetermined, <laughs> so stay in the... It's like, well, it doesn't actually help. Like, yes, that's true. Right. But how the fuck do you do it? Right.
1: And it's uh and that's and therein lies the problem, is you know with all of these mental health campaigns, right? It what do you is, think of bell Let's talk Well, I think they've they've done an unbelievable job bringing awareness to the fact that you know there is you know this problem, but on the other side of the coin, we have the highest suicide rates in the history of our planet. So why isn't all this awareness being turned into action and getting people well? Because there's only one Eckhart Tolle who's actually showing you how to live and be in the present, right? Well, and there's a Theo Flurry with a coaching program. But for sure, for <laughs> sure. But, uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not in that, you know, spectrum. But, you know, there's not enough of us who, because why are we shaming the one out of five people? Why are we shaming the one person and them? Why are we telling the other four out of five that they're okay? Yeah. Do you know what I mean? And so uh, that's why I love we're all a little crazy is because it's five and five. It's all of us.
0: So let's talk about that. Um, the Theo Flurry podcast, which I love, I just wish you'd be more consistent with it because it's, because you're <laughs> fucking good at it. Um, in particular, the Paul Brandt interview, but to, uh holy Christ you had Bill Burr. My God. You know, here he is on Theo's Show, then he's hosting the goddamn <laughs> Grammys. You know? Yeah. But you but you're you're inconsistent with it. But if anybody hasn't tuned in to th- uh, the Theo I don't have bought, a setup good. like this? Yeah. And I
1: don't and I don't want to learn how to have a setup like this. You just press all. the button, see the button? Yeah, I know. It's a good, good button. I like <laughs> I <know>. that button. <laughs> I know. But we were actually recruited by Four or five big podcast companies in the U.S. Sweet. So basically I plug and play. Yeah. Which is what I've always wanted. And, uh, you know, they're going to do some p- promotion for us. They're going to, you know, it's like a.
0: So you're going to let uh,
1: the Theo Flurry
0: podcast, what's there is there. and Yeah. It, I, I think for now,
1: yeah. you know, just because I'm so busy. Yeah. And I love the fact that we're going to focus on, changing the conversation. So tell me about the guys
0: at the, we're all a little crazy podcast. I'm going to have them on a Monday. Mm-hmm. So
1: Eric, uh, Eric was a high powered uh, professional sports marketing executive. Okay. And he had his dream job in Florida. He was the head of the Florida Panthers marketing department. Sweet. And uh, he, he, Started falling into depression, anxiety, all these things. Post-traumatic stress disorder. Didn't get out of bed for two and a half years. Jesus. Okay.
0: Like Brian Wilson.
1: Yep. You know, he was on every SSRI. He was on every medication. They were doing shock therapy, all this stuff. And his mom went to a breathing seminar by herself, came back home, said to Eric, you got to try this. So Eric goes and he's the only white male in this group of people, sits down, does this class, changes life, gets out of bed, has motivation, all this stuff, right? And, And so all he had for social media was LinkedIn. So he put his story out on LinkedIn. And then just got absolutely bombarded by people. And, you know, uh, being a very smart marketer, he's like, okay, I want to do something in this space. And the first guy he called was me because he saw my platform and what I was doing and and all that. And, uh, you know, he asked me, he said... Uh, Did you already know him at this point? No, I didn't know him at all. He reached out to Don and Don... Uh, I saw the email and so I, I uh, responded back. I said, "Get a, get in touch with Don. Let's set up a phone call." And and uh, you know, one of the questions he asked me was, "You know, would you, you know, would you trade all your success as an athlete to, uh, you know, change somebody's life?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I would trade uh, all of it, you know, to." To change one person's life because ultimately, um, this is what I was meant to do. Yeah. Like this is my purpose in life. Like this was, you know, sort of the chronological order, you know, and when I finally surrendered September 18, 2005, turned my will and my life over to the care of the universe, because that's what I call it as, as I understand it, then it quickly, I quickly found my purpose. Yeah. You know, and, and so, uh, you know, having seen my mother go through, you know, 40 years of big pharma and now she's in a, you know, she's in a mental hospital for the rest of her life. She can't function. Right. In How's Alberta it? here. Yeah. In Calgary. Uh, cause of the side effects of synthetic brain chemistry. Okay. Yeah. And Eric's approach was, you know, we need to look at this from a holistic approach because it was a breathing, breathing exercise that got him out of two and a half years of complete, you know, insanity. And, and so, you know, we're talking about functional medicine doctors now, like our, where we can actually look at your DNA, we can actually look at your brain chemistry, you know, uh, uh, you know, yoga, meditation, uh, you know, all of these things that have been out there for centuries, you know, now, you know, the psychedelics are going to be a huge player in yeah. this space, like huge player in this space. Well, I think the psychedelics,
0: the difference between them and pharma is that big pharma is... Coping and masking and band-aiding. Yeah, because I think, they,
1: they want more scripts. Of course. Right? Whereas the psychedelic world, and, you know, I hang out with one of the most powerful medicine men in the world who lives a couple hours south of here. And what he tells me is that the earth has everything we need in its natural state and form to cure pretty much everything on the planet.
0: Have you tried DMT yet?
1: Um, I'm going in uh, in May. Fucking bring me with you! For Christ's sake! I'm going, yeah. Taking the plunge. I'll send you the info. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, uh, there's, that's
0: a ride I I definitely want to try.
1: There's a guy uh who has a retreat out in Bowen Island in.
0: Uh, okay, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I've been
1: that, to, that's I, where I'm. Being, I've been to Bowen Island. That's where I'm being pushed by the universe because every sign, everything is like you know. I'm getting calls from all these companies and you know all that stuff so you know i'm on the cbd i'm on the thc
0: i'll see if i can get you a sponsorship deal through one of these uh, psychedelic companies
1: yeah well they're <laughs> believe me they all want you know my representation so
0: yeah um, well see who's willing to pay right. i got i got two of them uh, one that's been on the show and another that's uh, i've been talking with oh wow so cool
1: because my next project is i'm gonna i want to build a lifestyle brand With all of this new technology, functional medicine, you know, psychedelics, CBD oils, cannabis, you know, all that. Because, you know, uh, I really want to recalibrate my nervous system. Yeah. I I so desperately want to do that. Because my last episode of depression scared the fuck out of me. Last summer. Yeah. You're down, what, three months? Yeah. Well, about a month and a half. Month and a half. Yeah.
0: Couldn't get out of bed.
1: Stopped eating, stopped showering, stopped fucking sleeping. And I was like.
0: The guy that should know better, but you're knocked down anyway. Yeah, exactly. Yeah.
1: And then I, you know, then I got do what I always do. I start researching. I start picking up the phone. I started calling all these people that I ran into. And, you know, they just said, your nervous system's fucked. And it's been fucked since you were probably in utero. You know, because my mom took Valium while I was in utero.
0: And then I took you on that uh, motorcycle
1: ride at the end of that. Eh? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Yeah. So that's how, that's how, that's, did I help you get out of the oh, house? Yeah, absolutely. It was unbelievable. And I had an unbelievable summer. I played 140 rounds of golf. I was outside. You know, I didn't have any physical pain. You know, I was, I was good. Yeah. You know? And, and so, uh, what, what, Everybody's telling me is the, you know, the ketamine, the DMT, the mushrooms, you know, is the next level of, uh, oh, what's the word? It's, it's the next level of my healing journey. Right. Because I have concussions. I have, you know, all this trauma. I have physical trauma. I have emotional trauma, spiritual trauma. So, you know from every indication that I'm getting is that I'm going to have any, another spiritual awakening using the psychedelics, which is going to take me to the next level of my evolution.
0: The mushrooms are how I quit drinking. They sang me the messages. It was pretty nice ride, but they're, yeah. they're, they're singing the stories. So were you
1: doing macro doses or? I did both. Okay.
0: And it was actually, uh, if I'm going to be honest about it, um, it was micro dosing when, um, um, my brain just sort of showed me the impact uh, of alcohol on my life. I can't say I was all the way to alcoholic, but shit, I was on my way. Yeah. I was well on my way and I, and I could see where it was going and it had already gone too far because I was having five, six beers a day for three weeks. Yeah. That's a lot. Oh Yeah for a daily thing. And the pull to the booze was unfucking believable. Mm-hmm. And I, w- I would have drank turpentine. Like yeah. I just wanted something. Yeah. And, um, when I realized that, and especially when I realized how fricking hard it was to stop. Yeah. i was like, holy shit balls. Yeah. But it was the mushrooms that showed me the path. Cool. You know, they showed me, um, spiritual actually that alcohol reduces your vibration lower it lowers your frequency mm-hmm. when your frequency is lowered other low frequency bullshit starts coming into your life the drama the uh all yeah. the bad shit mm-hmm. as uh as you lived
1: yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know,
0: as you found yourself around a burning barrel uh, uh with a bunch of homeless folks in new york
1: yeah but you know what a great exercise oh yeah it was it was a you know i look back on that you know that experience, and I was like, you know, I hung around with some pretty cool people. Yeah. They were really smart. Did they know that uh, who you were? No, no. you just, just a guy there. I was some Wall Street dude, and
0: oh, you're dressed. <laughs> you know,
1: my yeah, two thousand dollar custom suit. <laughs> you know, but uh, you know, um, I do like a nice suit. Yeah, yeah, it makes you feel good. You know, yeah, yeah. But I, I, I wear sweatshirts and blue jeans and. Yeah. You know, that's who I am. That's what, you know, if I go back to my childhood, you know, that's, that was me, you know. Do you you ever
0: lace up anymore?
1: No. God, no. Why? I need to get physically well first. Yeah. You know, I've had a lot of neck problems, arthritis, you know, just from playing this when we didn't take care of ourselves either. So, you know, it was, you know, we, we, we had that saying, win or lose, we're in the booze, right? So. (laughs) You know, and then you know, the hardest thing for an athlete is to sit in a press box and watch his teammates go to war and so whether you were hurt or it's so fun to
0: watch you lace up and do some shinny <laughs> t- to show up at some pond somewhere. And well,
1: pay- I, I go to Mario's camp still. Yeah. Every year, which is fun. You know, that's about the only time I'll put on my skates or you know, if the Flames alumni are doing something, uh Oh
0: know. shit, I forgot. Uh Bryn says hi. Bryn Griffiths, yeah, yeah, yeah. He says hi. I was talking with him the other day.
1: Oh, yeah, great. Yeah. He was our radio guy in yeah. uh Moose Jaw. yeah, great guy. Just yeah. he just had some trauma, too. He had cancer,
0: yeah. He had his guts pulled right out of his body. Yeah. I'm gonna have him on the show. Oh, good to talk because trauma is trauma, yeah, is trauma. Yeah, you get your guts pulled out of you. You know, I had heart surgery when I was 29, I was convinced I was dead meat, right? Con. <laughs> Vinced. right uh i already had my that's uh so it was 99 i was 29 years old and uh jfk jr just splashed down in the great lakes well the only guy in the country that could do this uh, particular surgery on my ticker was in toronto so there i am on the edge of the great lakes and i already kind of got in my head the only the good die uh, young
1: right
0: you, you know yeah, kind of kind of deal and here i am 29 fucking jacked as in great shape except I got a heart that doesn't work for shit. Right. And um uh so as they're wheeling me into the anesthetic room and I already had the nurse said How about that JFK Jr. The good die young, don't they? Wow, that cunt! <laughs>
2: <laughs> no kidding,
0: <laughs> she, she said that and is reeling me in for goddamn heart surgery. Right, wow. I already had it in my head, and I went, Well, I guess that's the sign, I guess that's it. And they start with a pre anesthetic, they put a, a, yeah. a pill in me, mm-hmm. and um, and it kind of relaxes. Yeah, and I was just in this daze, like, So, this is the last shed I'm ever gonna see. Weird, And then they reel the, into this uh, spaceship of a uh, operating room. Everything is white and it feels like all the doctors are freaking aliens. It's just so weird because right. it's so white and sterile. And, and then there's the anesthesiologist saying, count back from a hundred. I'm like, well, great. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's, and uh, I, I was, I was convinced that this scene of was the last thing I was ever going to goddamn see. Right.
1: And then you woke up.
0: And then I woke up. (laughs) Couldn't believe it. There's this hella gorgeous nurse that woke me up. And I swear to God, I thought she was an angel. (laughs) I swear to God I did. And the first thing I said was, uh, um, I'm alive? Yeah? You're alive? No, no, seriously. Don't mess with me. Right. Like, yeah, I made it, and just the idea because I was so genuinely surprised. She started crying because she was so moved by that. Because right. I, I was completely baffled, right. and then I projectile vomited yeah. across the room. <laughs>
1: of course, oh man, yeah, that's yeah, it's Well, I'm a hypochondriac too, so Are you? I can totally see where you come from. Oh yeah, yeah, it's a lot better than it used to be, but yeah, any little thing. What grosses good? you out the most? Nothing like nothing grosses me out. It's like, you know, if I have a headache, oh, then you think, oh my God, it's brain cancer. I I had a brain tumor. Yeah. uh, Yeah. yeah. You know, my, you know, when I got diagnosed with Crohn's disease, I thought that was going to take me out, you know, all. So it it doesn't matter what it is. Well,
0: that's again, when about an hour ago, you know, uh, the trauma brain expects the worst. Yeah. All the time, mm-hmm. you know, uh, there was a post, I'm, I'm part of all these different veterans groups and, uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Do you still have to sit with your back against the wall? Look, and this is why I'm sitting here, you know, but it depends who you're sitting with too. Of course. You know, like if I'm sitting with another soldier or something like that, I can have my back to the wall as long as I know he's got it covered. Right. You know, then I, then I'm okay. But, uh, if it's just Joe Blow, not so much.
1: Right. Right. You know.
0: Because, uh, tell me how your greatest challenge can become your superpower.
1: Hmm. Well, I, I, I think that, you know, that the universe is always going to put lessons in front of you Mm. until you deal with them, right. Or get them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, the longer, the longer you let those lessons pass, the harder they are to overcome, I think. And, you know, because I sort of, you know, try to live in the present as much as I can, I get those lessons when they come, right? And they usually have some sort of pain attached to them, whether that's emotional or physical pain, you know, and pain is a great motivator, for movement and change. Right. And then you get to choose. Am I going to sit in it? Which I do a lot. I'll (laughs) I'll sit in it. Right. I'll sit in it.
0: It's like sitting in your own diaper when it's full. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But it's part of the process because I couldn't identify feelings for the majority of my life. And so sitting in the uncomfortability of those negative feelings, I really get a better understanding of where I'm at. Right. You know, because you know the most common thing is hey how you doing i'm fine good right i don't you know i don't go there anymore or i try not to go there if i'm feeling sad or lonely or anxious or whatever i i, I you know i honestly say I'm not not doing great today right and and what it does is it's it's a realization that you know i have more work left to do right and um, and every time I get through those challenges I'm a better facilitator I'm a better teacher I'm have more compassion I have more empathy for myself right and ultimately that's what we're working on is our own shit but as we're working on our own shit when we get through those lessons now I can tell you about it. I can share it on a podcast. I can, you know, work it into my speech or, you know, whatever I'm doing because I know that somebody in my audience or somebody who's listening is going through the same shit. And then they go, you know what? I, I don't feel alone anymore. Somebody else is going through what I'm going through, right? That me too, the power of me too. Yeah. Right? Right. So, um,
0: well, if you're not ashamed, it gives other people permission to not also not be ashamed. Yeah.
1: Well, that's the killer. Shame is the killer. Yeah. Emotionally.
0: Well, especially sexual trauma with a man, you know, uh, like my parents have no idea. Right. And because I don't think they ever see any of my shows or watch right. any of my stuff. Right. So unless one of their family friends said, uh, guess what Mark fucking said on the show. Right. They're not going to know. Right. You know, and, uh, I'm kind of leaving it up to the universe that way. So yeah. I'm not hiding it. Nope. But I'm also not saying, oh, by the way, do you know I was molested for five years when I was a kid? You know, if they find out, they find out. If they don't, they don't. Right. You know, because uh, my mom would just fret and worry and then she'd want to know who did it and I wouldn't tell her. Yeah. And, because there's no point.
1: Yeah. But, um, well, and that's the thing, you know, they, everybody wants revenge. You know what I mean? <laughs> I still can't believe
0: you've given, you've forgiven, legitimately forgiven Graham James. Like that is fucking spectacular. But the guy
1: has no life. He has no life. Yeah. Like he's can you know, he's not sitting here doing a podcast. No, he's, he's not coaching anymore. Like he, he, he doesn't have a life. He's curled
0: up in a ball in a cell. Yeah. Wondering when he's going to get killed by one of the inmates.
1: (laughs) Exactly. And, you know, here I am living my life, you know. I have a great life. Yeah. You know, despite all the challenges that I face, you know, it's better than the alternative. Yeah. You know, drinking myself to death, drugging myself to death, you know. It's not worth it, you know. (laughs) It's really, it's it's not worth it, you know. Um, And I have this amazing platform. Right? Where uh, go figure that I'm involved in the biggest epidemic on the planet. Well, there's no better guy, I think, on the planet than me to be involved in this. Yeah. Right? Because I have the experience and I'm still going through it. So I'm living it with you. Right? Like I'm living it in real time with people because I'm, you know, I'm figuring it out as I go along.
0: You know what I hate is the personal development industry. Uh, you made a, call, a crack about uh, Tony Robbins once. Just this this idea, the people that aren't real in it, you know, it's just a f- fucking business. And they're upstage, uh, I got a silver, you know, I was a rock star coming out of the womb and I did this and I did that <laughs> and I'm freaking amazing and you could be amazing too. You know, fuck off. Yeah. You now, I, I, I want to I- know the person that was kicked down, beat up, chewed up, spit out, thrown through a wood chipper, and somehow, put themselves together and is able to perform. Yeah,
1: I love the My Pillow guy. His story is unbelievable. I don't know the My Pillow guy. Yeah, he was. Who's the My Pillow guy. He's he's the guy that's been hanging around with Trump. So he's the guy on the infomercials. He created this pillow company, but way before that, he was in Mexico on his last legs. He was gonna die, and then found God, and you know picked himself up and you know, created this amazing company and he's, uh, you know, philanthropist now. Yeah. But because he hangs around with Trump, everybody hates him. And so, <laughs> <laughs> but he's actually had more sales.
0: if All the Trump hotels have his pillow. <laughs> yeah,
1: but I don't know, you know, so, um, but yeah, you know, those, those kind of people, uh, you know, have gone through it. Yeah. Right. You know, when you stare death in the eye, that's who I want to hang around with. Yeah. Right? You know? I, uh the way I
0: I talk about it uh, for a war, and it's no different than what you endured. Mm-hmm. Um, so they called it ethnic cleansing. Right? Mm-hmm. It was a fucking genocide.
1: Yeah. Straight up. Yeah, you which know, is the, what's happening right now. Yeah. <laughs>
0: they, they they called it ethnic cleansing because they didn't want to upset the public to so that people would demand that something would get done about it. Uh, entire villages, man, woman, and child were slaughtered. Um, pits like dugouts full of bodies, fucking. And that's what you saw. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I didn't have to guard the body pits. A lot of my friends did. You know, I was on, uh. Why
1: were they guarding them?
0: Um, I don't know. I think it was uh, to keep them there until the UN inspectors come up because uh, yeah, okay. the UN inspectors yeah. wanted, God, can you imagine being a UN inspector and you're going through literally pits full of bodies uh, to for forensic analysis?
1: Rotting bodies?
0: Yeah. Ugh. Well, we were on uh, QRF, which is quick reaction Force. They're the guys that are packed light, ready to jump uh, <laughs> for like three months. Uh, we were quirfed. and um, it, you should never be on QRF for more than two weeks because it's just it's just that high state of readiness for too long. Right. Right. And we did get deployed once. It turned out it was a friend that committed suicide. We didn't know that till we were already down the road. So quirk, quirk, quirk. Oh shit. And we're in the carrier. We're going, we're piling out of the the camp and we're flying balls out, uh, uh, four or five carriers uh, whipping down the road and then stand down, stand down. And then, then we found out uh, a friend of ours, he took a grenade, put it in his vest and, blew himself to smithereens Jesus Kirk Christ. Kirk Cooper. Yeah, I just saw him just three days prior, uh when we're on leave together. Mm-hmm. And I knew he was fucked, but I saw that he was in the hands of somebody else. So I just right. stepped back, but it didn't matter. He's dead. And um but uh that was one time that we were deployed for the QRF, but um we were on standby for two weeks for body recovery because some other village was slaughtered. Mm-hmm. And so there's bodies laying in all over the place and, uh, they're like, okay, we're, we're, uh, your platoon is going to get tasked with body recovery, throwing them all on trucks and taking them to wherever they dispose of them. And, um, what day goes by, few days go by. It's like, they're going to be getting pretty ripe. If we're going to do this, can we go please? And I only got one tour but there were guys there that were already on their second or third tour uh, in the early '90s in the Balkans, and they had already done body recovery. Um, so they're telling us what to expect, right? You got to take Vicks vapor rub, rub, shove it in your nose, yeah. Yeah. and you got to burn all your clothes after because right. you, right. you can't get the smell out. You no. can't get the smell out. So we're all, we're you know getting yeah. mentally ready for this, and then it never
1: happened. Somebody else did it. I don't know who else did it. So so how do you how do you how do you feel when? The leader of your country stands up in front of a vent and says, "We just we we can't give you what you want."
0: Yeah, that was with Brock. Yeah. Uh, so Brock uh, is a member of my regiment, uh, PPCLI, and um, that one is Brock hates it. I, I I've never met the guy. I just I from friends of friends. Yeah, they tell me he just hates the notoriety. You know, um, but typical soldier. Right? Yeah. um, Trudeau doesn't show up to Remembrance Day ceremonies. You know, uh, he always has something better to do. I think uh, deep inside he does not like us and uh, maybe not so deep. (laughs) But he doesn't like us and uh, and we know he doesn't like us. But you know what though, Um, as much as I I am not a fan of JT – but two things: one, Veterans Affairs is better, so yay, awesome. You know, it's still it's got a fucking long way to yeah, go, yeah. but it's better. You know, and <laughs> uh, like I've been looked after really, really well by Veterans Affairs. I'm happy. Great. You know, I'm happy with mm-hmm. with. Uh, I needed help. They got me help, and um, and that's continuing. It hasn't stopped. Yeah, good. You know? So, I didn't have to spend a million dollars. I get all <laughs> I, I get all I can handle, and it's covered as right. it should be. Yep. Right. Um
1: well, I think all mental health services should be covered.
0: Well, I agree. If uh I can't think of anything more important actually.
1: Yeah. It's the number one thing that pretty much everybody on the planet has.
0: Yeah. So the other thing about JT is uh the legalizing marijuana. I I've never been a recreational user. Yeah. Just never been my break. Right, right. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it still isn't I'm not interested. Not and I'm not there's nothing wrong with it. It's no. just not my thing. Right. Right. But oh my God, Theo, if I don't take my cannabis oil, my one-to-one cannabis mm-hmm. oil at night, yep. the fucking nightmares, <clears throat> right? And yep. it's, um, they're thematic. It's fight, flight, freeze. Yep. So my goddamn amygdala lights up every night and takes me on a joy ride. The only thing, and it doesn't get rid of them. It just throttles back right, right. so yeah. in, instead of a 10 yeah. where i'm waking up three four times a night in a freaking jolt mm-hmm. i can get through the entire night without waking up not every time but yeah. uh, and whatever horrendous dream i had was less horrendous right cannabis is the only relief for that yeah and so making it legal i think was a yeah, great yeah. great absolutely. step absolutely for sure other than that uh yeah um
1: I'm not a fan of that guy.
0: <laughs> but Veterans Affairs is better, yeah. so that is good.
1: But, you know, from a, you know, when I get past all of my frustration and anger and everything when it comes to Trudeau, I see I see a very traumatized human being when I, when I see him.
0: So do I, because yeah. uh, he's... Um,
1: well, you just have to look at his... He's a man baby. But you just have to look at his past... History yeah you know and you, you know, but he should not be running the country that's for sure
0: no he could be an assistant manager at a taco stand maybe perfect and not a good taco stand yeah exactly <laughs> you know yeah. one of those dodgy ones that are the back of a truck
1: yeah. well it's always it's always interesting to watch him you know at you know uh when everybody gets together all the leaders of the world and they just
0: You've got no time for it I actually, I, you know what? I legit feel bad for him. And I actually get angry for that. Even though I'm not a JT fan, I've been that guy that nobody will talk to in school. Right. I've been that guy. Right. And it's a dick move. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's still our fucking prime minister, unfortunately, but he is. So you disrespect him and his office, you're disrespecting all of us and fuck you. Right. You know how he was treated by those other world leaders. I don't care what type of dipshit he is. Right. You don't treat him like that. That's fucking hog shit. And I can't believe I just defended Justin Trudeau. Oh my God. <laughs> we got it on tape. It's oh here. my it's God. we will for- never hear the end it's of here it. forever. But no, that it, hog shit, the yeah. way he was treated. That's just not
1: right. Yeah. Well, you know, we're, uh, I remember him saying that, you know, Canada doesn't really have an identity. Well, that's one of them is we're incredibly full of pride. This whole country. You know, it was full of lots of people have pride, lots of patriots, you know. I
0: asked you about uh, the Team Canada and the patriotism you felt because I, oh. I had an image in my mind <laughs> uh, being on the parade square in Victoria when uh, the 3rd Battalion was there. And I remember very clearly being in full dress uniform because we are getting ready for the Freedom of the City parade and being at attention, or I think it was present arms, whatever, we're on parade, rigid, while the National Anthem is playing, and when they go stand on guard for thee, and I am literally standing on guard for thee with yeah. a rifle, it yeah. was electric. Yeah. yeah. You know,
1: it so, was well, it's electric. The same, it's the same thing, standing on the blue line with, you know, the anthem playing. It was, yeah, you know, same thing. Because hockey's like religion in Canada. Oh, it is. You know? And, uh.
0: That's why I hate it when the American teams keep winning the damn cup. It's like, but they won't love it like we love it. They, they won't appreciate it right. the way we appreciate right. it. They can't. Right. Well, maybe in the northern states, you yeah. know, Boston. Yeah. and
1: Yeah, Minnesota. Yeah. Because yeah. they have the Canadian influence, right? Yeah,
0: Boston hates Montreal. And <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, yeah. You played when the Battle of the Aber- of Alberta was really a thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's coming back, though. I think I think that rivalries, uh,
1: it's but not to the same no intensity. Like we were trying to hurt each other. <laughs> yeah, like seriously, was it real hate? <clears throat> it was real hate. It was real hate. When you're slashing, you're hoping to hit bone. <laughs> 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 seriously,
0: have you ever heard of Brumaloo? <laughs> think of the nastiest game you had in your entire career. Okay. Then take off the pads.
1: Oh yeah. Well, it's rugby.
0: <laughs> so, broomaloo is a form of it's our regimental sport, and uh, it's the uh, get even with the officers' day. Uh, it would be done on 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 the regimental day, which is uh, the
1: so like the longest yard <laughs> stuff. Yeah, holy cow! <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
0: but you got a, a broom ball stick, yeah. you know, and the ugly ones with the orange oh, yeah. plastic ends, hard plastic. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And the only rule is try not to die. And um, the, now they've tamed it up a bit, but anybody of my vintage, the last Broomloo game that I saw was, uh, was my last, uh, just about out, it was, it was 1995. Uh, so St. Patrick's Day is our regimental day. So it would have been St. Patrick's Day, 1995. And one of the scariest men that I have ever met in my life, he was only about six foot. But Jesus Christ, the Slavic features, Carl Hanna, uh, anybody from back then, there's a shudder, <laughs> right? And the dude was full on looty tunes when it came to aggression, right? I saw him clothesline a, uh, a freaking officer, and that officer did a 360 around his arm, like he did a cartoon flip, because it was like hitting a goddamn tree. And uh, after every game, there would be... A dozen people in the ambulance. You know, like it was just carnage <laughs> like every a, like time. A Calgary
1: uh, Edmonton game. <laughs> yeah, only take off the pads well, and, and get rid of the referees. When we used to, when we used to <laughs> fly home. We used to fly home after the games. <laughs> Or if we played at home, yeah, every single guy would be in the trainer's room.
0: You prima well, then, donnas, you what, can't take a bus from Edmonton to Calgary. Jesus Christ!
1: Well, no, because we flew into the city airport right in Edmonton before they built that thing outside of uh, Edmonton. So yeah. yeah, so it was. But every guy had an ice bag. Every <laughs> every guy had an ice bag, and if you didn't have one, guys were pissed off at you.
0: Who who was the most feared oiler then?
1: Oh, I don't know. Dave Semenko? I didn't play in the Semenko era. He was gone already. All right. So, you know, there was Dave Brown was there. Kelly Buckberger was there, (laughs) you know. But we had Stu Grimson, Timmy Hunter, you know, like we. Yeah. You know, we sized up well.
0: You played with Lanny McDonald, didn't you? Yep. Jesus, that's something. 89, yep. Is that a special thing or is it just another player?
1: No, it was very special, you know. Lanny's, you know, one goddamn of, legend, one of the biggest names in in hockey, you know. And uh, you're you're off. off the off the uh, <clears throat> you know the fact that uh, you know, he dressed for that last game in Montreal. Okay, played his first game in the Montreal Forum. Played his last game in the Montreal Forum. That's cool, and. Scored that iconic goal in the Stanley Cup last game of the Stanley Cup, you know, against Patrick Waugh. made Patrick Waugh look like he was just an average goalie, you know. Pat so, Roy. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, to, to be, you know, win a Stanley Cup, but to have that story attached to it it's pretty, you know, pretty amazing too.
0: Yeah. Did you know, um, uh, I mean, he's still alive, so I shouldn't say in the past tense. But uh, grapes very well. I know him just from
1: seeing him on TV, like being interviewed by him or seeing him in the hallways before the games. But never really, you know, I was, I wasn't, I wasn't a big Don Cherry fan until they gonged him. Yeah, you know, and you know, Ron McLean obviously threw him under the bus as quickly as he possibly could. So I've completely lost respect for. You know, when I'm watching hockey night in Canada now, I don't you even see watch, Ron McLean. I don't watch the intermissions anymore. Yeah, yeah, because I'm so disgusted. Still, yeah, yeah. So
0: it's funny, eh? When uh, something that didn't happen to you, but it happened to somebody else, so it's uh, you still want to have that person's back.
1: Yeah. Well, it's just you know that this whole cancel culture thing is just so moronic, you know. Really is. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, you know, Don put in his dues. Like he put in his time.
0: He's been there forever.
1: Forever.
0: My damn hockey cards are missing. I got old hockey cards. I have a Don Cherry card.
1: Like a coaching card or yeah. a player card? Coaching card. With the with Bruins. Boston? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: I can't find my goddamn hockey card collection.
1: Well, I, you talk about a guy that loves the military.
0: Well, I know. You that's, know. that's why I was thinking yeah, about yeah. him and, and our regiment in particular. He's yeah. given us several shout outs. Yeah. yeah and there's the Regina seen. Pats. Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. after our regiment.
1: Yeah, that's right. Well, I love that the, the uniform they had for them when they were in the Memorial Cup, that, uh, that special army thing they wore in the Memorial Cup. Okay. Yeah. It was beautiful. Yeah. yeah. So, and I, you know, that, that. That rivalry Moose Jaw Regina got me ready for the Battle of Alberta because Regina Moose Jaw back in our day yeah. was was <laughs> it was crazy.
0: Yeah, it was a battle. Yeah.
1: Well, every goal, every time I scored in the Agrodome, I machine gunned the crowd, so they didn't like that too much.
0: What do you mean machine gunned them?
1: Like machine gun. Oh, them. after I scored, I was, <laughs> da, 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 da. Shoot, with shoot, your stick, I'd shoot everybody in the crowd. <laughs> so
0: yeah <laughs> i wonder if they're ever gonna have enough population to have an nhl team i uh i i have such a soft spot for the winnipeg jets because they got their team back yeah and i'm just so happy for winnipeg because mm-hmm. i know what it means to them and um uh and for the saskatchewan Roughriders riders because yeah. what fans they are unbelievable what fans they yeah. are you know well, and I, uh,
1: you know i got well, i lived in Saskatchewan for four years when I played junior and I was a big rider in Regina fan. or Moose yeah. Jaw yeah and I was big well we're 45 minutes away so went to lots of rider games in the summer the summertime.
0: tunnels weren't open back then
1: no no have you ever been in I haven't been down there no it's cool man you I heard it's it. cool yeah talk
0: about trauma <laughs> <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ what the uh, uh, Chinese went through like it's absolutely unbelievable and nobody's talking about it. It's no. like, why, why doesn't their story count? It's a freaking hell of a story. But, uh, for anybody that doesn't know, there's tunnels underneath the streets of Moose Jaw where, uh, the Chinese folks stayed. Now they could legally come up and, but the racism was so goddamn bad that they decided to stay under the streets and live in, live where they worked in these just horrific facilities. And then, of course, it's rumored too that uh, the rum runners were down there, the El Capone yeah. and all that kind yeah. of thing.
1: Well, there's a big rail yard in Jaw, and they built that rail yard, Chinese. They yeah. built the railroads. Because where I grew up, uh, well, sorry, where my dad grew up in St. Lazar, Manitoba, my, my grandpa worked on the CN Rail for, geez, I don't know, 30 years. He was a section foreman. But we had a little farm. Uh, outside of uh, the little town, and, and it was called Chinatown. The name of the farm was called Chinatown because right below the farm was the rail. The railroad would go through our property, and Chinese built the railroad, so they called our piece of property Chinatown.
0: There's so much of a story that uh, needs to be remembered. Yeah, you know absolutely. that's a big part of it. My uh, my great granddad on my dad's side was a part of the first crew that brought uh, a steam um, piece of farm equipment, combine. So a steam powered yeah, combine. Yeah. And he still had these really grainy pictures of him. It was like, hey, nobody move for the next 60 seconds, yeah. you know, uh, kind of picture. Yeah. And well, um,
1: it's the railroad is what united the country. Yeah. Right. Because you could go right across the country. So well, it's such a goddamn big country. Yeah.
0: Any huge. part of uh, Canada you haven't seen yet that you want to?
1: No, I've been in, I've been everywhere.
0: I've been everywhere, yeah. man.
1: Yeah. Like I was in uh, Haida Gwaii. Where the hell uh, is that? It's a, uh, it's a little island off of the north coast of Vancouver Island. Okay. And uh, I went, I went there because there are <laughs> they uh they, they started a men's healing group there. Okay. Aboriginal. And uh, they wanted me to come and sort of kick off the. The whole thing, and so we went to it's it's spectacular, spectacular place. And so uh we got there the day before, so Don and I Don and I jumped in the car and we drove around the island and uh there was one particular beach that we stopped at. There had to be two hundred bald eagles just sitting in the trees. Remember what town you're close to? Uh I can't remember the name of the town. but we were in Gwaii on the island. And there was 200 bald eagles in the thing. Comox maybe? No, no. Like this is like. Way north. Way, way. Port like Hardy we had to get kind to, of stuff. No, we had to go on a ferry to get to this little island called Haida Gwaii. Jesus. And uh, <clears throat> and so I did my speech and uh, the next morning as I was leaving, they were, the conference was still going and I saw 35 indigenous men doing yoga. That's something. It was like, wow. You know, I thought I'd seen it all, but but I, you know, I saw it all, but I've been, you know, been to Prince Edward Island, been to Nunavut, been to Whitehorse, been to the Yukon, uh, you know, the North. Do you,
0: as you're traveling, do you feel an attachment to your Métis heritage? Uh, Is that part of your identity? Or is it just there?
1: Well, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I went to all those places because they're indigenous communities. Right. So, yeah. um, you know, I, I feel more the Cree part of me mm. as opposed to, but I, you know, I do go to Métis communities too. And, and, uh, you know, I've talked about this lots, you know, that, that, uh, you know, one of my heroes is a guy named Louis Riel, who was kind of the grandfather of, um, you know, the Métis people and fought for a lot of the rights that you know we have today and uh but you know the fiddle the jigging you know all that stuff is you know a huge part of me that's why i do music is because you know if you know anything about metis people we're very musical mm-hmm. so you know that's that's part of you know the dna that i have in me
0: ever been in an east coast kitchen party
1: oh yeah yeah those are great those are fun <laughs> yeah sober's sober's interesting though yeah yeah so
0: that i mean the the, the outfit or being sober being sober yeah
1: because yeah. everybody else is you know drinking and yeah drinking what is it screech i guess they call well it. that's yeah yeah and then kissing the kissing the cod kiss yeah. yeah yeah i i have kissed a cod i have too but i didn't have to drink after it so yeah
0: <laughs> yeah drinking is not helpful might be fun in the moment, and I, I swear to God, I miss it. Like, I was a Scotch guy.
2: Oh yeah,
0: you know I like a good smoky Scotch. Jesus Jeez. Christ! But uh, I'll just have beef jerky. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> I'll get my smoke that exactly. way.
1: Um, yeah, I, I went to Ireland to get sober. Of all places, Jesus. that's where I got sober in Ireland. Yeah, because I played for the Belfast Giants. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Well, oh the went, most beautiful you, places you and I on were, the planet. You and I were together. You were doing a speaking gig when I went, Yep. Yeah and I and I, <laughs> I I bought the auction item for a couple thousand bucks. That's and I was right. like, fuck. <laughs> I didn't think I'd get it. And then there's the Ireland trip right there. Yeah, that's
1: awesome. Yeah,
0: it was it was it was really, Spectacular really place. It is. unbelievable. Yeah. Did you have a favorite spot?
1: Yeah, the Giants Causeway.
0: Okay. Yeah. That's North Ireland. Yeah. Yeah. I never yeah. went to North yeah, Ireland. That's
1: I spent, geez, almost every Sunday there. It was like a two-hour drive from Belfast to the North Coast, and I would just go and walk for hours on end. It was just yeah. spectacular. Did you ever
0: get to some of the islands in-ish more or whatever? Oh, no, I to, just
1: stayed. I just stayed because um, I was playing for Belfast, so I had oh, okay. I had some responsibility. But uh, you know, we played a couple games a week and. rest of the time i traveled
0: they had a hockey team in belfast Mm
1: -hmm. yeah they play in the british elite league huh that league's been there since the second world war because a bunch of canadian guys married british girls (laughs) stayed there created this professional hockey league and it's it's been there since 1940 i had no idea they've been playing hockey over there yeah and uh one of my buddies uh had bought a share in the team and just happened to be playing golf with him. And he said to me, what are you doing this winter? I said, I'm doing nothing. He says, you want to come to Belfast and play hockey? I was like, what? <laughs> I was like, yeah, there's a professional league over there. I said, sure. So went over there for like nine months and that's where I got sober. Because right before, right before I went.
0: Was it a particular event or what What was the catalyst while you're in Ireland?
1: Well, I'd gotten sober. September 18, 2005. I arrived in Ireland October the fifth. Okay, two thousand five, and yeah,
0: that's where you're stress tested for your sobriety. Yeah,
1: where there's a pub every four feet. Yeah, <laughs> you know. So, and good beer, so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I I don't know if I can drink a Guinness. I don't think I've ever drank in a Guinness beer. I uh,
0: am I out? I think I'm out. I got all these non-alcoholic beers now. Oh yes, and, of course. Uh, yeah, there's one there. Near near beer. Near beer, and it is my God. They've come a long way oh, since yeah. Molson there's Excel. Lots, that stuff is trash. Stuff.
1: There's lots of good stuff. That's out a stout there right there.
0: Per take, per take makes a stout, and it's it's really good.
1: I'll have a all the Coors, whatever the non-alcoholic Coors. Edge Coors Edge. Yeah, yeah. After golf, it's it's really really hot. Yeah,
0: I got Bud 0 in there too. It's, oh yeah. Prohibition yeah. is the yeah. shit. Prohibition, that's the um, one I'm I, talking. I don't about. like I don't like Prohibition, but that's uh Bud Ed, uh Bud 0 and that's good. Okay. That tastes great. Want one?
1: No, no, I'm good. All
0: yeah. right. I'm good. All right. Awesome. Fuck, I think we're there, man. We've been going for an hour 46. I <laughs> think we covered it all. I think we covered it. That freaking Theo Flurry <laughs> guy <he> can talk. <laughs>
1: I I, I bet you I've done a thousand podcasts. Yeah, it's been well, every Wednesday I do three or four every week, every Wednesday. So tomorrow, yeah. tomorrow's a big podcast day, so. Bang them off. And talk, like, I talk to all kinds of really cool people, different walks of life and different podcasts, so it's kind of cool. So I don't have to really talk about hockey all the time. Yeah. You know, I like to, I like to talk about what's happening, like, today. The real stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So stuff that's important.
0: <laughs> Letting go of the past is tough. You know, I know you see it with players, you know, and uh, I definitely see it in the veteran community. People, uh, it's like, okay, acknowledged. You're a veteran. You got your yeah. plates. It's cool. Yeah. But you're not just that. Yeah. You can, there's, you are more. For sure. You know, absolutely. You are more than what you were. Yep. And you have, you know, you have to be something today. Otherwise, you're just going to be clinging to it, clinging to the past.
1: Yeah. There's lots of guys that I, See every once in a while that are still so connected to, you know, what they used to do.
0: You're, I run into people uh, that are that miss high school. I am like, what? I don't understand. I had, <laughs> I did not have a good time in high school. Like yeah. that was, I have no fond memories of yeah. high school. Well, maybe a couple,
1: but yeah, I, I don't think I want, I would ever want to go through those. No, you know, those no. Life begins at fifteen. When, when did I start drinking? I was fifteen. Yeah. I drank till I was 36, so I was like, no, I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. Yeah, don't need any more of that shit. Mm-hmm. No. Almost no more drama, much. no more chaos. Just, you know, I just want to maintain what I have. That's it. 'Cause Because I have a really great life right now. Yeah. You know, I just want to maintain that. You know, I don't need $50 million to maintain what I have. You know, it's just simple and, you know long as i can play golf you know in the summertime i'm, I'm good how many rounds are you doing last year i played i did 140 last year so i haven't played 140 in my life and i played one already yeah i went to lethbridge on uh thursday down to henderson lakes and uh, never why well, i'd played in a golf tournament there like 30 30 years ago and uh went back with my two boys this past week and we had a ball. It was beautiful. You ever done
0: a pro-am anything like that?
1: Yeah. I played in the Shaw, uh, the senior okay. tournament here. That was fun. Yeah. It was really yeah. good. Mm.
0: Do you ever get star? That's what I wanted to ask you. Do you, all the people that you've met, have you ever been uh,
1: starstruck, star or do you get
0: starstruck anymore?
1: One time. Yeah. Well, twice. First time I met Sly Stallone. Oh yeah. And the one and only time I met John Candy. I was, ah. I was starstruck, yeah.
0: John Frickin Candy, yeah. 1994, he passed away. I think.
1: Yeah. I asked him if I could give him a hug. Oh yeah, because Uncle Buck. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and he was the coolest guy. Stallone. Did, did you get the hug? Oh yeah. Yeah. Stallone was. Well, he was my idol. Like I, I love. <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> um, you know the the Rocky movies were. Like my inspiration as yeah. a kid, growing up, and and uh, you know when I got to meet him, it was wow. And he was such a nice guy, and just you know he loved hockey. Oh, is that right? Cause I met him under underneath the stands. Yeah, at the Los Angeles Forum in uh, in LA, and he was there every game. Is that oh, right? Yeah, yeah. And then <laughs> I have this unbelievable picture. So Nancy and Ronald Reagan. Okay, came to a game in L.A. one one afternoon, and they were sitting right on the glass. And there's a picture of me on the half boards on the power play, like this with the puck, and Ronald and Nancy Reagan are right there looking. No way! Yeah, it's unbelievable. That that's, is cool. That's a cool picture.
0: That is freaking cool. That you got that one captured, framed on the wall. No,
1: I just have a little. It's about this big.
0: Yeah. Deal. Thanks for helping me celebrate oh, yeah. episode number 100, man.
1: Unbelievable how that you've done that many since.
0: Because...
1: Wasn't I one of the first ones? You
0: were, but that, was, that wasn't even the show. This is your first time on this show. Okay. And then I ported, uh, from the Mikey Show podcast, I ported uh, those shows over to Operation Tango Romeo. But just like you're doing, Theo, I did about 65 episodes of the Mikey Show, and I enjoyed it, yeah. but I felt like I needed to be more on point and more right. mission, and right. I kept drifting into this lane anyway. Right. So I said, screw it, and uh, created Operation Tango Romeo, and uh, here we are and I'm so glad I did it too. Yeah. You know, just focus on this lane. Cause you're, you're right. First one through the door is the one that gets bloodied, you know, and there's not much of us out there. Yeah, exactly. You yeah. know, doing, doing this, yeah. but it's, it's important work. And well, I get,
1: I, I find when I do, when I was doing my own podcast and then doing, you know, multiple other people's podcasts is I get to work on myself too. Yeah. While I'm, while I'm doing it because yeah. there's a question that's going to trigger something in me or, you know, whatever it is. And so, you know, I love doing podcasts because it's, it's a great platform and, you know, there's no censorship. There's no, you know, I can yeah. swear cause I like to swear, you know? Yeah. So, you know, it's good.
0: Well, if it's not, it's just part of being genuine, right? Yeah. You know, I'm not uh, dropping an F-bomb just cause it's, it's like, if that's the right Word for the moment, yeah right. it's it's great, there's no CRTC breathing down my neck,
1: yeah, it's great, you know it is good, yeah, it's really good, it is
0: good, and the um the feedback that I get from doing the show I mean i <laughs> uh people that literally say it uh, they pulled the gun out of their mouth, yeah, you know, and that they that they say, please don't stop, please keep going. I'm like, how much do you want? They've got uh, like a hundred episodes no, no, keep going, yeah. keep going yeah. They need the little dose of it, but it's. Um, I was asked uh, Sonia Morton Firth. I connected yeah. you to, too, mm-hmm. um, uh, and then I was on her show and and I said, "Look, uh, this podcast stuff, it is not altruistic. Yeah, it isn't. No, you know, this is for me. Yeah, you know, because yeah. uh, yeah, this is this is for me. It is, it is absolutely selfish of me doing this, and that's okay. Yeah, absolutely, it's okay. And if it helps other people, that is freaking awesome. But I am doing this to survive." Yeah, absolutely. I'm doing this to survive, to be a better me. Because you're right. I mean, the more conversations that you have like this, you know. You get to work on yourself.
1: get to work on your shit.
0: Ignoring your shit and pretending it's not happening doesn't help.
1: No. No, you got to get it out. You got to get it out. You got to get it out. And, you know, God gave us a voice for a reason. That was to use it.
0: There's uh, one couple and uh, uh, the wife wrote a testimonial for this show and she says, look, where he's at for healing right now is pretty fricking far away from a therapist office. Yeah. And, but what we can do is listen to Tango Romeo while her hands are on his shoulders while he's gaming. Like that is the bubble that he needs mm-hmm. to be able to talk about healing and acknowledge the wounds. Wow. And, but as he's able to do it and half listen to the show while he's playing COD or whatever mm-hmm. he's doing, then they talk about the show. What were your takeaways? Uh, uh, what resonated with you? What didn't <laughs> resonate with you? And inch by inch, they're getting closer to professional help, and this is the catalyst for it. Yeah, well, you know, fucking cool, right? Yeah,
1: and then that's 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 why you do it. That's why I do right.
0: it. That and my selfish reasons. Yeah,
1: if you change one person's life, then then it was all for the good. Yeah, brother. Because. You know? You know, that's, that's the one thing when I first started on this journey was I was overwhelmed because I didn't realize the enormity of trauma. You know, I started out in the sexual abuse space, you know, came the poster boy for sexual abuse, which I didn't want. Yeah. And then, uh, and then, you know, stopped using the phrase sexual abuse exclusively and just switched to trauma. And then when I switched to trauma, I brought the whole entire world into this conversation. Yeah. Right. And uh, <clears throat> and you know I have this spiritual grandmother, and uh, you know I said to her, I said, you know, Grandma, I'm like I don't know what to do. Like I'm overwhelmed. And she yeah. said, she said, one person at a time. And well, that, and but, then that's when it changed.
0: What was the rollerblade across Canada guy? <laughs> Who was that?
1: Sheldon. Sheldon Kennedy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, do, have you done co events with him or? We haven't done a lot of work together because he focuses on the kids, right? And I, I said, well, why? Why would we do the same work? Because it wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't seven, eight, nine, ten year olds were coming to book signings and telling me their story. It was guys like you. 40, 50, 60, 70, 80 years old were coming to me and telling me their stories for the first time and I was like, wow, there's a big need for, you know, the adult's part. Yeah. So I said, there's no use us doing the same work when there's, you know, different needs. Yeah. And then, you know, and then, you know, uh, realizing that I'd suffered with lots of mental illness too in my life and sort of just you know was was uh you know trauma addiction then and then I you know put the piece together that trauma mental health and addiction, and the reason why I went to the addiction part was the mental illness you know that I was using as medicine to solve. I
0: think the mainstream's starting to get that now, <clears throat> yeah that uh, there is no addiction without trauma yeah um addiction is the symptom of trauma yeah you know well, it's, it's it's not it's, a standalone thing it's the coping mechanism yeah right? just 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 stop drinking, oh fuck, no, that's not what it is yeah. good, luck <laughs> yeah, good luck with that yeah, good luck with that you know well anybody that I know that's quit anything has had that holy shit moment um, i I think of smoking as uh, I don't know anybody, anybody that's quit smoking without hating it yeah they, they they have this sudden moment where they look at it and they go, this is fuck it's." stupid i'm letting this thing control my life fuck you yeah without that fuck you moment they don't quit right you know that's why my dad can't quit he's been smoking uh, since he's 15 years old he's 82 now
1: but there's also some brain chemistry involved in that too every time we suck on the smoke we it, get serotonin really yeah i
0: did not know that i thought it was all about the nicotine
1: No, no, no. It's serotonin too yeah was a part of it when you do that you get a hit of serotonin <laughs>
0: Well, I've got to walk around doing that all day. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe that's part of the breathing exercise is the power of them.
1: Right, right.
0: You ready to do some Wim Hof stuff and jump in an icy lake? No. <laughs> I'll do
1: pretty much everything. Yeah.
0: But you're not going right. to Wim Hof it up?
1: Uh, I don't know, not yet, anyways. Uh, apparently,
0: it's actually enjoyable when you get to that yeah. level. It doesn't feel like cold. It no, feels yeah, it feels cause nice. Because you, your
1: body gets used to it, Yeah. right? So it's like anything else. Yeah, I haven't nutted up to do that yet.
0: got a couple buddies that have, but I'm not. Well, we used to have
1: cold tubs in the dressing room. Yeah. So, and those came in, you know, at the end of my career and, you know, I'd sit in there for like 20 seconds. That was all I could do. Yeah.
0: Then spend the next three days trying to find your balls. Yeah, exactly. Where'd they go? (laughs) They're right here. Yeah, exactly. All right, man. Good stuff. All right, brother.
1: Thanks, man.